Good morning, Grace. Good morning. Well, the uh, Grace kids were, were great this morning. Um, that song, Go Tell on the Mountain, that song, Go Tell on the Mountain, that is a, um, a southern gospel song. And so maybe there's a little more southern gospel in this church than I thought. Uh, you know, you can, uh, it's more of a, a song from down south. Uh, I'm from Texas. I put my hand over my heart when I say Texas. And uh, it's great to be up here as far north as this is for me. All right. Uh, we have gone, like uh, Jesse said, we've been moving through a sermon series. Um, and I recognize that some of us, as we look back at the past year, uh, we would say that God has really showed up in some significant ways. Uh, he's blessed us. Uh, we can look at times in our life and say, wow, there's God, there's God, there's God. And it's been a joy to partner with God. Others of us have faced struggles and losses. Uh, maybe there's been grief in your year. Maybe you have looked back at the last, this last year and gone like, where is God? Where's God? Where is God? Well, like I said, we're halfway through this sermon series entitled The Thrill of Hope. And here's how we will define uh, biblical hope. Hope is a God-honoring vision of the, the future, better days, that changes us in the present. Only that hope helps us today. Only that hope changes us now. And we're also realizing that God's hope for us uh, may be different in some cases than what we would be hoping for. God's timing for us to realize um, other hope can be different than our timing, and at times that is a struggle for us. But many of us know this, though at times God may seem silent, um, He is never at rest. He is always at work. God is always at work. He's not just up in heaven watching us. He is with us. He is for us. He is all around us. The thrill of hope that leads a, a weary world to rejoice is because God has been at work. And yonder breaks a new and glorious morn precisely because he has been at work. Uh, my daughter Jessica told me that our granddaughters have been singing the song uh, Waymaker together. I don't know if you've heard it. In there, there's a line that says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. God is always at work. Maybe a question for uh, all who may be far from God or maybe discouraged with God. Is it possible that God is about to bring some good to you and you just don't know about it yet? Over the last two weeks, uh, we've seen the birth announcements of both John the Baptist and Jesus. So at this point, we've seen the good in the story of hope. John the Baptist has already been born, and Mary is about to give birth to Jesus. The sermon this week is entitled Sharing Hope. Sharing Hope. And let me give you a hint. Sharing Hope is first a message about receiving peace. So let me say that again, because that's the good. Sharing Hope is first a message about receiving peace. And we're going to see that towards the end. So right now, let's dive into the text, starting in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, we are partway through 21 centuries beyond this time period, and we're in a really different culture, uh, cultural context of God bless America versus Hail Caesar Augustus. So these first few verses are nothing like our tax season. This is not just fill out your 1040 because April 15th is around the corner. It's way different than that. No, when this decree went out from Rome, hearts sank. Tempers flared. That's because Israel and other nations were hopelessly oppressed by the Roman government. Contrary to many of the idyllic Christmas cards and slogans of the day, here Israel is being reminded of its painful subjugation to Rome. But up to this point, as many of the registrations and taxations have been over the years, uh, and those were hated by Israel, they submitted to them. Heavy taxation, national humiliation um, continued, but Joseph and Mary submitted. Both were now in Bethlehem, officially identified as uh, the house of the descendants of the kingly line of David. But the oppressive circumstances were also due to Mary's physical condition. I mean, it was a difficult journey for her to make in uh, this late in her pregnancy. This gave them both grave concern and Mary even greater discomfort. It would also be a financial loss to Joseph and his already poor family as he left his whole carpentry business back in Nazareth. It was oppressive also due to the shame and the embarrassment of only recently being married, but obviously fully pregnant. There seemed to be no end in sight of the oppression forced upon them nationally through taxation or humiliation in the eyes of others. All of this wearied them. But it would not get any better as they arrived in Bethlehem, verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. The situation here can best be described as demeaning or belittling, even for a poor family. Not being born in a home or a room, Jesus entered the world that he created in primitive accommodations. Jesus' first place of rest on this earth was with animals. The demeaning circumstances um, are that God who took on human flesh lives outside of a human dwelling, was born outside of a human dwelling in a belittling place, fit for only animals. Christianity has kind of glorified the manger over many years of Christmas celebration and falsely given it maybe an aura of dignity that it doesn't really have. As one author puts it, no one sings away in a feeding trough. But that's what it was. The king of glory, the savior of the world, was placed in a food trough for animals. Jesus, God incarnate, 
glorious king and savior entered life surrounded by animals and needing the same care that every human baby ever born needs. And swaddling cloths provided some of that comfort, that warmth and security. Now, somebody has got to hear about this. And they will, but it might not be who you expect. Verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So in this area, around Bethlehem, there were shepherds tending sheep. It was evening. It was dark. When the very first solitary, maybe even Gabriel, appeared to them. But as amazing as that was, notice that the glory of the Lord also appeared. Remember, the glory of the Lord is the Shekinah glory, the Shekinah light. The Shekinah light is God's visible presence on earth manifested by light. And God's visible presence had left the earth, had left the temple in Jerusalem back in Ezekiel's time. God's glory had not returned to the earth for over six months. Hundred years. So the angel and the presence of the Lord manifested by light appear now and all around them and the, and the shepherds, they're terrified. Great fear, it says. After six centuries, the glory of the Lord returned, but surprisingly not back at the temple where he left. Not back at the temple with trained priests, but in an open field to lowly shepherds. If you didn't know it, the shepherds were not exactly the spiritual elite of Israel. In fact, their work not only made them ceremonial unclean, it kept them away from the temple for weeks at a time, preventing purification practices for them. They were the humblest, the most uneducated, and the most unskilled laborers in Israel. That is where God's glory shown first. The message started there first. In order to emphasize that Jesus is Savior to everyone who would believe. By visiting the shepherds first, the angels revealed the grace of God towards all mankind, not just the spiritual elite. Next, the angel allays their fears and tells them why he has come. Verses 10 through 12. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So this is good news for everyone, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Good news has come, but maybe not the way we would expect. The Christ, the anointed of the Lord, the long-awaited promised Messiah, has not appeared in honor and power, has not ridden in on a white horse leading a giant army. No, strangely enough, he's just born. He has come as a baby. How strange that must seem. 
He's not been born into a rich priestly family either. He's not been born into kingly surroundings at all. Nope, he's wrapped up in swaddling cloths like any common baby. And he's not even resting in a crib at home. Again, the text says a manger. Food trough. Now that's strange. I mean, certainly not something you'd see even among among the poor. That was strange news, but still the angel said it was good news. Good news. These words describing the sign they would see are barely spoken, and the shepherds hardly have time to ponder that before the rest of the glorious gang shows up. Verse 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This angelic multitude suddenly manifests themselves. And they suddenly start praising. Maybe the shepherds had called down from uh, talking to or seeing uh, Gabriel. Maybe just long enough to start to enjoy this celestial show. Maybe. But they didn't see the rest of this coming at all. Maybe they were surprised just like Jacob in Genesis 28. Remember, Jacob saw in his dreams angels ascending and descending on a ladder where when he woke, he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Maybe the shepherds realized something like that. And we can see several things in this passage today. So many wonderful topics that we could dive into, like who are all these angelic hosts? Or maybe we could study what prophecies were fulfilled and dive deeper into the glory of the Lord. But what I want to look at now is the peace that is found in this text. In the angel song, verse 14. Now the focus of the angel song is helpful. First, it's, it's upward as they glorify God in the highest heaven. And then it was outward as it pronounced, and on the earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. Peace, wholeness, well-being. But there are three things I want us to see about this peace, and we're going to finish up the response with the shepherds. First, there is a limit to God's peace. Second, we're going to see what this peace is not. And then third, what this peace actually is, and that may surprise you. Let's look at the message from the multitude of angels at the end of verse 14 again. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Did you see the limit? There are places where God's peace remains in its absolute and complete extent. And there are places where it does not, in fact, cannot remain. Does that surprise you? Let me say it a little more unexpectedly, but still accurately. God cannot give his peace to just anyone. He has limits. He has set limits. The good news is there is peace in every place that receives God's favor and grace. Let me say that again because there's the limit. The good news is there is peace in every place, every place that receives God's favor and grace. 
And don't let it slip by you that this peace must start here on earth. This is peace we receive. In fact, we must receive on earth. If we don't receive this peace on earth, we will never have it for all of eternity. Where God has granted his favor and grace on this earth, there is peace. Where he has not, there is not. That's the limit. That's the boundary of his peace. His grace and favor are the prerequisite to his peace. And many of you know this, but it is important to note that God alone chooses on whom his favor and his grace rests, right? We can't demand it. We can't claim it. We can't earn it. All we can do is receive it. Remember back in Exodus 33, where God reveals himself to Moses, and, and Moses uh, had asked to see him. Exodus 33, 19. And he, meaning God, said, I will make my, all my goodness pass before you, <clears throat> and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He alone is sovereign. So we can only receive God's favor, his grace, his mercy, where the, where the basis of it is his peace, which is the basis of his peace. Wherever, whenever, whomever he gives it to, there is peace. Now, here's a question I got from Pastor Tim Keller. Has God's grace and mercy brought international and political peace into this world? Here we start the answer what this peace is not. This is what the angels are not singing about. Again, this is the peace. Uh, again, is the peace spoken here in verse 14? Is it international political peace? Some have argued that Jesus' coming has brought peace to nations, and some people see no improvement at all. In fact, the Geneva Academy points out that in 2023, there have been 110 active wars with casualties totaling hundreds of thousands of deaths. The deadliest, Afghanistan, Yemen, Israel, Syria, Syria, you can see the list. But there are at least 110 countries embattled with somebody. So, is the peace spoken of here in verse 14, is that international peace for all nations? Well, not according to Jesus. He said this in Mark 13, that until he returns, there will be wars. There will be rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. This must take place. So to the very end, war will be with us. It may only get worse. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't expect international political peace to be the result of my birth. He's very clear about that. Well, okay, maybe, maybe the peace is just going to prevail in families, not nations. Maybe that's the peace, relational peace that Jesus came to bring on earth. Well, not according to Jesus. Matthew 10, 34 through 36, Jesus said, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. A man against his father, a daughter against mother. 
So to the very end, in some families, there's going to be war. It may only get worse. Jesus is basically saying the effect that following him will have on some families will be war. And he's clear about that. Now, if all of this absence of peace in the world back then and now is true, how can Zechariah, and we read this, how can Zechariah back in Luke 179 say that his son John will go before and prepare the way for Jesus who will guide our feet into the way of peace? Right out of the gospel. It's clear in that verse, Jesus is specifically a guide to peace. So where is the peace? With all of this absence of peace, maybe it seems like this verse should read something like this. And he will guide our feet into the way of compromise. Or guide our feet into the way of accommodation. Or guide our feet into the way of detente. Or maybe you should just read that Jesus will guide us close to peace. You know, not really into it, but we'll be close. We can see peace up ahead, but it's out of reach for now. If all this lack of peace in this world, back then and now, is true, how can Jesus himself teach this? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. It's clear. That, there is, that us being peacemakers proves that we are rightly related to God. In fact, we are his spiritual children. So again, where is the peace? With all this lack of peace, it seems like this verse should probably read, Blessed are the stalematers. Blessed are those who end in a standoff. Blessed are those who call it a draw, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, I hinted at it earlier, so let me tell you now the kind of peace that Jesus did come to bring, first and foremost. But first, let me tell you something that else that is true, and praise the Lord that for some of you, you've experienced uh, this kind of peace because God has, uh, Jesus has come. Some of us can say that there is a measure of peace in our families precisely because of Jesus. Jesus has brought some peace to some families maybe even yours. We can say, there's God, there's God, there's some peace of God in my marriage, in my family, with my in-laws, precisely because of Jesus. We can honestly say that. No doubt that's true. And to whatever measure the rule of Jesus, however much the kingdom of God describes your life, to that degree there is peace with God. So it's there but it's partial. It's incomplete. Some of the peace that we can experience between us and our family and our in-laws and our neighbors, some of the peace that godly world leaders can broker between nations, some of that is the result of Jesus. To whatever measure the, the kingdom of God and the presence of the Spirit of God rules the lives of people, to that measure there is Incomplete and partial peace. But the absolute, full, complete, unhindered peace that the angels are singing about is the peace that God made between himself and those on whom his favor 
rests. God's peace is full and complete between him and anyone who has received eternal life because of the all-sufficient sacrifice that Jesus has made on their behalf. And they have received. The peace the angels are singing about um, is the eternal peace of being reconciled with God through Jesus who received the wrath of our sins and we received the righteousness of him in return. This peace is full. This peace is complete. God is as much at peace with believers now as he ever will be because of Jesus. God is at peace with us as much as he is with Jesus because of what Jesus has done in our behalf. We are as righteous in God's eyes as Jesus is because Jesus gave us his righteousness. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. And yet God views us in full justification, reconciliation, complete peace with himself through Jesus and nothing else. Now somebody has to hear about that. Somebody has to hear about that and they will. My last point comes right out of the text describing the faith response of these shepherds. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known to, they made known the things that had been told them concerning this child and, and all who heard it wondered. And what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And and we can be excited. We can be excited about the angels and the shepherds being the first evangelists of their time. And we need to become more excited about being the best evangelists of our time. Amen? Oh, I think we missed an opportunity there. We need to be more excited about being evangelists of our time. Amen? Amen. Yeah. The shepherds believe peace with God had come. They shared it with Mary who treasured this. And they shared it with others who responded in wonder and amazement. The title of the message today is Sharing Hope. And sharing hope is encouraging people to receive God's peace. Sharing the hope is encouraging people to receive God's peace. So again, what is this peace? It's the eternal peace of reconciliation between us and God by believing that Jesus uh, declared us righteous. We've been justified through him in God's eyes. Paul says it this way in Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified, justified by faith, we have peace. That's the full, complete, eternal peace. We have peace with our God through our efforts? No, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we share hope with others as we share the peace of God, the full, the complete, eternal peace that comes only by them trusting Jesus as their Savior. 
So as I wrap this up, verse 20 says that that night the shepherds returned. And we can tell from the text, they returned differently. They returned differently to the flocks they watched. They were different now. They were rejoicing. They were praising. Now, these shepherds are not mentioned by name in this passage, and as far as we know, they're never mentioned again in Scripture. And this isn't in the text. This is just me kind of wondering, imagining. This is me wondering in hopeful amazement. As the years went by, I wonder if these, these guys ever got back together. I wonder if they uh, ever, I wonder if they stayed together or got back together. I wonder if they ever got back together, hearing about the eternal peace, receiving eternal peace, and sharing eternal peace. That's got to change you, right? I wonder if they ever just kind of got over that night. I wonder if a week ever went by that they didn't tell someone about the multitudes of angels, the multitude of angels and the, the glory of the Lord and the peace of God that could be theirs too through Jesus. People may not have listened to them. I mean, they were still marginalized by society, the, the lowest of low. To high society, these guys were nobodies. But I don't think that... I don't think that ever bothered them again. There's a song I heard a few years ago by Casting Crowns and Matthew West. It's entitled, Nobody. And these shepherds were nobodies. And I want to be a nobody, as the song describes. I'm just a nobody who's trying to tell everybody all about somebody who saved my soul. Watch that video. Listen to that song this week. Maybe being satisfied, even pleased to be a nobody in the world's eyes, maybe that empowers us to share hope with everybody. Maybe. Applications for us this week could be as simple as us kind of putting down our tech, putting down our tools, putting down the toys. And sharing the good news of a great joy. Sharing the hope. If you're a Christ follower, then, then maybe you share it with yourself again. Hopefully you haven't gotten over it. But, but revisit where you've come from. Revisit where God has taken you since your mo moment of eternal peace with Him. Again, this isn't about shame or beating ourselves up. Jesus paid for all of that. He delivered us from all of that. This is about the hope that is yours because of the peace that is yours through faith in Jesus. Don't get over being saved. Once again, be amazed. Be filled with wonder. And in joyful obedience to Jesus, be a nobody <laughs> like these shepherds. Be a nobody who wants to tell everybody all about somebody saved your soul. Let's pray. Father, we don't, we don't want to hope. We don't want the hope that the world offers. At best, that is just wishing. And Father, we don't want 
The peace that the world offers for that peace is only temporal. It's only partial. It is incomplete. At best, it's a stalemate. It's just a trade-off. And that peace cannot change us. Father, we want your peace. Only your peace transforms. Only your peace reconciles. Only your peace is full and complete and eternal. Holy Spirit, remind us of this peace so we can share the hope who is the way, the truth, and the life and is the peace the angels sang about 2,000 years ago and still sing of today. Father, may that be our song too. Help us to sing the good news which is for all the people. May your peace continue to go with us and be in us and for us and all around us and to our families for generations In Jesus' name, amen.